0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Val Grimm. Winesburg, Ohio, by Sherwood Anderson, Section 24. Sophistication. It was early evening of a day in the late fall, and the Winesburg County Fair had brought crowds of country people into town. The day had been clear and the night came on warm and pleasant. On the trunnion pike, where the road after it left town stretched away between berry fields now covered with dry brown leaves, the dust from passing wagons arose in clouds. Children curled into little balls, slept on the straw scattered on wagon beds. Their hair was full of dust and their fingers black and sticky. The dust rolled away over the fields. And the departing sun set it ablaze with colors in the main street of Weinsburg, crowds filled the stores and the sidewalks night came on horses whinnied the clerks in the stores ran madly about children became lost and cried lustily an american town worked terribly at the task of amusing itself pushing his way through the crowds in main street young george willard concealed himself in the stairway leading to dr Reefe's office and looked at the people. With feverish eyes he watched the faces drifting past under the store lights. Thoughts kept coming into his head, and he did not want to think. He stamped impatiently on the wooden steps, and looked sharply about. "'Well, is she going to stay with him all day? Have I done all this waiting for nothing?' he muttered. "'George Willard, the Ohio village boy—' was fast growing into manhood, and new thoughts had been coming into his mind. All that day, amid the jam of the people at the fair, he had gone about feeling lonely. He was about to leave Winesburg, to go away to some city where he hoped to get work on a city newspaper, and he felt grown up. The mood that had taken possession of him was a thing known to men, and unknown to boys. He felt old and a little tired. Memories awoke in him. To his mind, his new sense of maturity set him apart, made of him a half-tragic figure. He wanted someone to understand the feeling that had taken possession of him after his mother's death. There is a time in the life of every boy when he, for the first time, takes the backward view of life. Perhaps that is the moment when he crosses the line into manhood. The boy is walking through the street of his town. He is thinking of the future, and of the figure he will cut in the world. Ambitions and regrets awake within him. Suddenly something happens. He stops under a tree, and waits as for a voice calling his name. Ghosts of old things creep into his consciousness the voices outside of himself, whisper a message concerning the limitations of life. From being quite sure of himself and his future, he becomes not at all sure. If he be an imaginative boy, a door is torn open, and for the first time he looks out upon the world, seeing, as though they marched in procession before him, the countless figures of men who before his time have come out of nothingness into the world, lived their lives and again disappeared into nothingness the sadness of sophistication has come to the boy with a little gasp he sees himself as merely a leaf blown by the wind through the streets of his village he knows that in spite of all the stout talk of his fellows he must live and die in uncertainty a thing blown by the winds a thing destined like corn to wilt in the sun He shivers and looks eagerly about. The eighteen years he has lived seem but a moment, a breathing space in the long march of humanity. Already he hears death calling. With all his heart, he wants to come close to some other human, touch someone with his hands, be touched by the hand of another. If he prefers that that other be a woman, that is because he believes that a woman will be gentle that she will understand. He wants, most of all, understanding." When the moment of sophistication came to George Willard, his mind turned to Helen White, the Winesburg banker's daughter. Always he had been conscious of the girl growing into womanhood as he grew into manhood. Once on a summer night, when he was eighteen, He had walked with her on a country road, and in her presence had given way to an impulse to boast, to make himself appear big and significant in her eyes. Now he wanted to see her for another purpose. He wanted to tell her of the new impulses that had come to him. He had tried to make her think of him as a man when he knew nothing of manhood, and now he wanted to be with her and to try to make her feel the change he believed had taken place in his nature. As for Helen White, she also had come to a period of change. What George felt, she in her young woman's way, felt also. She was no longer a girl, and hungered to reach into the grace and beauty of womanhood. She had come home from Cleveland, where she was attending college, to spend a day at the fair. She also had begun to have memories. During the day, She sat in the grandstand with a young man, one of the instructors from the college, who was a guest of her mother's. The young man was of a pedantic turn of mind, and she felt at once that he would not do for her purpose. At the fair, she was glad to be seen in his company, as he was well-dressed and a stranger. She knew that the fact of his presence would create an impression. During the day, she was happy, but when night came on, she began to grow restless. She wanted to drive the instructor away, to get out of his presence. While they sat together in the grandstand, and while the eyes of former schoolmates were upon them, she paid so much attention to her escort that he grew interested. A scholar needs money. I should marry a woman with money, he mused. Helen White was thinking of George Willard even as he wandered gloomily through the crowds thinking of her. She remembered the summer evening when they had walked together, and wanted to walk with him again. She thought that the months she had spent in the city, the going to theatres and the seeing of great crowds wandering in lighted thoroughfares, had changed her profoundly. She wanted him to feel and be conscious of the change in her nature." the summer evening together that had left its mark on the memory of both the young man and woman had when looked at quite sensibly been rather stupidly spent they had walked out of town along a country road then they had stopped by a fence near a field of young corn and george had taken off his coat and let it hang on his arm well i've stayed here in weinsburg yes i've not yet gone away but i'm growing up he had said I've been reading books, and I've been thinking. I'm going to try to amount to something in life. Well, he explained, that isn't the point. Perhaps I'd better quit talking. The confused boy put his hand on the girl's arm. His voice trembled. The two started to walk back along the road toward town. In his desperation, George boasted, "'I'm going to be a big man, the biggest that ever lived here in Winesburg,' he declared. "'I want you to do something. I don't know what. Perhaps it is none of my business. I want you to try and be different from other women. You see the point. It's none of my business, I tell you. I want you to be a beautiful woman. You see what I want.' The boy's voice failed, and in silence the two came back into town and went along the street, to Helen White's house. At the gate, he tried to say something impressive. Speeches he had thought out came into his head, but they seemed utterly pointless. I thought, I used to think, I had it in my mind, you would marry Seth Richmond. Now I know you won't, was all he could find to say, as she went through the gate and toward the door of her house. On the warm fall evening, as he stood in the stairway and looked at the crowd drifting through Main Street, George thought of the talk beside the field of young corn, and was ashamed of the figure he had made of himself. In the street, the people surged up and down like cattle confined in a pen. Buggies and wagons almost filled the narrow thoroughfare. A band played and small boys raced along the sidewalk, diving between the legs of men. Young men, with shining red faces, walked awkwardly about with girls on their arms. In a room above one of the stores, where a dance was to be held, the fiddlers tuned their instruments. The broken sounds floated down through an open window, and out across the murmur of voices and the loud blare of the horns of the band. Medley of sounds got on young Willard's nerves. Everywhere, on all sides, the sense of crowding, moving life closed in about him. He wanted to run away by himself and think. If she wants to stay with that fellow, she may. Why should I care? What difference does it make to me? he growled and went along Main Street and through Hearn's Grocery into a side street. George felt so utterly lonely and dejected that he wanted to weep, but pride made him walk rapidly along, swinging his arms. He came to Wesley Moyer's livery barn and stopped in the shadows to listen to a group of men who talked of a race Wesley stallion, Tony Tip had won at the fair during the afternoon. A crowd had gathered in front of the barn, and before the crowd walked Wesley, prancing up and down, boasting. He had held a whip in his hand, and kept tapping the ground. Little puffs of dust arose in the lamplight. "'Hell, quit your talking!' Wesley exclaimed. "'I wasn't afraid. I knew I had him beat all the time. I wasn't afraid.' Ordinarily George Willard would have been intensely interested in the boasting of Moyer, the horseman. Now it made him angry. He turned and hurried away along the street. "'Old windbag!' he sputtered. Why does he want to be bragging? Why don't he shut up? George went into a vacant lot, and as he hurried along, fell over a pile of rubbish. A nail protruding from an empty barrel tore his trousers. He sat down on the ground and swore. With a pin, he mended the torn place, and then arose and went on. I'll go to Helen White's house. That's what I'll do. I'll walk right in. I'll say that I want to see her. I'll walk right in and sit down. That's what I'll do, he declared, climbing over a fence and beginning to run. On the veranda of Banker White's house, Helen was restless and distraught. The instructor sat between the mother and daughter. His talk wearied the girl. Although he had also been raised in an Ohio town, The instructor began to put on the airs of the city. He wanted to appear cosmopolitan. "'I like the chance you have given me to study the background out of which most of your girls come,' he declared. "'It was good of you, Mrs. White, to have me down for the day.' He turned to Helen and laughed. "'Your life is still bound up with the life of this town?' he asked. There are people here in whom you are interested?" To the girl his voice sounded pompous and heavy. Helen arose and went into the house. At the door leading to a garden at the back she stopped and stood listening. Her mother began to talk. "'There is no one here fit to associate with a girl of Helen's breeding,' she said. Helen ran down a flight of stairs at the back of the house and into the garden in the darkness she stopped and stood trembling it seemed to her that the world was full of meaningless people saying words afire with eagerness she ran through a garden gate and turning a corner by the baker's barn she went into a little side street george where are you george she cried filled with nervous excitement She stopped running, and leaned against a tree to laugh hysterically. Along the dark little street came George Willard, still saying words. "I'm going to walk right into her house. I'll go right in and sit down," he declared as he came up to her. He stopped, and stared stupidly. "Come on," he said, and took a hold of her hand. With hanging heads they walked away along the street under the trees. Dry leaves rustled underfoot. Now that he had found her, George wondered what he had better do and say. At the upper end of the fairground in Weinsburg there is a half-decayed old grandstand. It has never been painted, and the boards are all warped out of shape. The fairground stands on top of a low hill rising out of the valley of Wine Creek, and from the grandstand one can see at night, over a cornfield, the lights of the town reflected against the sky. George and Helen climbed the hill to the fairground, coming by the path past Waterworks Pond. The feeling of loneliness and isolation that had come to the young man in the crowded streets of his town was both broken and intensified by the presence of Helen what he felt was reflected in her. In youth there are always two forces, fighting and people. The warm, unthinking little animal struggles against the thing that reflects and remembers, and the older, the more sophisticated thing, that had possession of George Willard. Sensing his mood, Helen walked beside him filled with respect. When they got to the grandstand, they climbed up under the roof and sat down on one of the long, bench-like seats. There is something memorable in the experience to be had by going into a fairground that stands at the edge of a middle Western town on a night after the annual fair has been held. The sensation is one never to be forgotten. On all sides are ghosts, not of the dead, but of living people. Here, during the day just past, have come the people pouring in from the town and the country around. Farmers with their wives and children, and all the people from hundreds of little frame houses have gathered within these board walls. Young girls have laughed, and men with beards have talked of the affairs of their lives. The place has been filled to overflowing with life. It is itched and squirmed with life, and now it is night, and the life has all gone away. The silence is almost terrifying. One conceals oneself standing silently beside the trunk of a tree, and what there is of a reflective tendency in his nature is intensified. One shudders at the thought of the meaninglessness of life, while at the same instant the And if the people of the town are his people, one loves life so intensely that tears come into the eyes. In the darkness under the roof of the grandstand, George Willard sat beside Helen White, and felt very keenly his own insignificance in the scheme of existence. Now that he had come out of town, where the presence of the people stirring about, "'busy with a multitude of affairs, had been so irritating. "'The irritation was all gone. "'The presence of Helen renewed and refreshed him. "'It was as though her woman's hand was assisting him "'to make some minute readjustment of the machinery of his life. "'He began to think of the people in the town "'where he had always lived with something like reverence. "'He had reverence for Helen.' he wanted to love and be loved by her, but he did not want, at the moment, to be confused by her womanhood. In the darkness he took hold of her hand, and when she crept close, put a hand on her shoulder. A wind began to blow, and he shivered. With all his strength, he tried to hold and to understand the mood that had come upon him. In that high place in the darkness, the two oddly sensitive human atoms held each other tightly and waited. In the mind of each was the same thought I have come to this lonely place, and there is this other, was the substance of the thing felt. In Winesburg, the crowded day had run itself out into the long night of the late fall. Farm horses jogged away along lonely country roads. "'pulling their portion of weary people. "'Clerks began to bring samples of goods in off the sidewalks "'and lock the doors of stores. "'In the opera house, a crowd had gathered to see a show, "'and further down Main Street, the fiddlers, "'their instruments tuned, sweated in work "'to keep the feet of youth flying over a dance floor. "'In the darkness in the grandstand, "'Helen White and George Willard remained silent.' Now and then the spell that held them was broken, as they turned and tried in the dim light to see into each other's eyes. They kissed, but that impulse did not last. At the upper end of the fairground, a half-dozen men worked over horses that had raced during the afternoon. The men had built a fire, and were heating kettles of water. Only their legs could be seen as they passed back and forth in the light. When the wind blew, the little flames of the fire danced crazily about. George and Helen arose and walked away into the darkness. They went along a path past a field of corn that had not yet been cut. The wind whispered among the dry corn blades. For a moment, during the walk back into town, the spell that held them was broken. When they had come to the crest of Waterworks Hill, they stopped by a tree, and George again put his hands on the girl's shoulders. She embraced him eagerly, and again they drew quickly back from that impulse. They stopped kissing and stood a little apart. Mutual respect grew big in them. They were both embarrassed, and to relieve their embarrassment, dropped into the animalism of youth. They laughed and began to pull and haul at each other, and some way chastened and purified by the mood they had been in. They became not man and woman, not boy and girl, but excited little animals. It was so they went down the hill. In the darkness they played like two splendid young things in a young world. Once, running swiftly forward, Helen tripped George and he fell. He squirmed and shouted. Shaking with laughter, he rolled down the hill. Helen ran after him. For just a moment, she stopped in the darkness. There was no way of knowing what woman's thoughts went through her mind, but when the bottom of the hill was reached and she came up to the boy, she took his arm and walked beside him in dignified silence. For some reason they could not have explained. They had both got from their silent evening together the thing needed. Man or boy, woman or girl, they had for a moment taken hold of the thing that makes the mature life of men and women in the modern world possible. End of section 24